across the galaxy. This is where conspiracy on the wild side meets the perspective of a lifetime. This is the Free Zone with your host, Freeman. Hello and welcome to the 36th season of the Free Zone. 18 years this show has been running. Boy, we have gone through some list of things and boy, the notes and uh, just, uh, wow, the world has changed. I mean, consider this, all right? I was born in the summer of love, as it was known, uh, 1967, for those of you that don't know. But born in the middle of the summer of love, uh, it was such a time. The world was in turmoil, violent warfare all over. Uh, no one, you know, fights and, and the hippies <laughs> and drugs. And, uh, if you look at this time, it really was, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix was out getting his experience and Jim Morrison of the doors was being arrested for indecent exposure. But at this moment, as a matter of fact, a week before I was born, the BBC put out the global first ever global satellite broadcast to the world in in the advertisement the first television broadcast to encircle the earth right uh it was called our world and the beatles were scheduled and this was the first time 18 nations came together to broadcast to 30 nations and a potential of 400 million people could watch this presentation as it broadcast live this was a global massive event and the beginning of our world so I kind of see the roots of everything that I've been looking at in this whole puzzle uh, right there in, in the 60s, right as I was being born, everything was coming uh, to light. They started calling kids teenagers. They made this separate, separate group. Thank you, Tavistock, along with the Doors, the Beatles, and everybody else that was going on at that time. First Super Bowl, right? Now think of how many times I've covered that. First Space Treaty. How many times have I been into that? And so this whole summer of love with its first television satellite broadcast encircling the world uh, really set the stage for where I'm at and where we're at right now. And, you know, it made me into a disruptor. And as a disruptor of a brother from another mother, we have the return, returning out of his crypt, coming back from countless esoteric orders freemasonry rosicrucians and on and on we'll get into all of that but this is the grand return and i couldn't start season 36 any better than to bring back the amazing broader x welcome back to the free zone my friend thank you freeman it's great to be back yeah we've got a, a lot to catch up uh, with and it's been a strange journey. I would, uh, I would totally agree with you there. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. it just, just mentioning the Beatles, I mean, and the fact that they did that, that satellite broadcast, it's like, it's so clear the intention there. I mean, they were just trying to focus everybody's attention on that. If you remember, the Beatles showed up in America, what, like two months after the JFK assassination, right? I mean, it was, it was like, here you go, dangle the fruit, you know? And Aldous Huxley died the same day, too, as JFK insane and yeah and here we are 57 years later and uh what are we looking at but uh taylor swift at the super bowl with uh, kelsey right like it's all the rage uh it, you know we we just see and saw i mean to think that this all began the day i was born yeah, that's another thing. The synchronicity there, obviously, right? I cannot watch or even hear about a Super Bowl without thinking about your deconstruction, reverse engineering of a half halftime show, you know, every time. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's just like a you know, but semantic, yeah, it's just like a Pavlovian reaction. Super Bowl halftime, Freeman. <laughs> What's he think about this, right? It's almost like I blew their cover because they don't even do anything cool anymore, you know? <laughs> it's true. That's absolutely, they have totally, like, you know, they peaked with, like, what? Katie you know, Perry. Madonna. Yeah, Katie Perry, right. Yeah, yeah, that the, was it. The Horror Babylon coming out on her beast. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. It's right on track, right on track. Well, you were born then, too, you know? A few years later, in comes to the world, Frater X. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that you and I have had the same trajectory of life for so long. And when it's amazing to find that 
we found our familial connections to all of this, which is really what kind of opened the door for each of us to start studying the esoteric, uh, getting deeper. At least, you know, for me, I know it was discovering my dad's connections to this, but then you went in and you found all your connections and that took you deep into these esoteric realms. Why don't we let people just know a little bit about how deep you went? <laughs> because yeah no that's great and you know just to say you're right you were born in 67 summer of love right i was born in 70 which was like post woodstock altamont ritual murders i was literally born right at the time of the manson murders so we have this total dichotomy you know on your side of it the summer of love there was still a sense of like an idyllic hope right even though people were still reeling from the you know shock of like on ptsd like shock of the jfk assassination right but we're right in between jfk oh then mlk happens and then bobby kennedy in 68 right so so there, there's this this kind of moment where everybody's reeling but they still are cultivating this sense of hope right believing that they can change the system believing that they can stop the war believing that they, you know they, they, they're they're trying to be a part of it you know and, and, and let's not forget from... my very first memory sorry to interrupt but my very first oh, yeah. memory was the landing of the moon on 69 i'm two years old i remember all the excitement in the room I remember the scratchy television. Uh, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was two, but uh, I think something in the excitement in the air. But so we had that hope going on then too. And now we've got Elon Musk just dropping capsules on the moon. Nobody even cares, right? Nobody cares. Like, yeah, what? We lost sideways. the moon. I have no idea. Yeah, the sideways landing, the latest, uh, the t it, it teetered over, you know, I mean, I guess they should have put like a, a weeble bottom on it or something so it'll wobble and not fall down. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we all, we definitely were raised, you know, we're Cold War kids, right? So the moon landing and the whole space problem program was the carrot dangled to us, like, see, we beat the Russians, which... I have my doubts about that. Honestly, we could, you know, that's a whole other that's a different show. show. <laughs> yeah, right. But the fact of the matter is, is that I was that kid too. Like I, I, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wrote to NASA. They used to send me stamps for my stamp book of different rockets. They used to send me the eight by 10 glossies of the lunar landing, you know, with the astronaut and the flag and the module and all that. I had them hanging up on my wall. And right, I I too found out, as you did, when you look back on your life, it's like, wait a second, my father was doing what? You know, like my family was doing what? You know, my mom was born when, where? And it's the same kind of thing with me. I found out that the man who raised me, his his father, the man who raised him, was uh, worked for JPL, was working for the the rocket guidance system, the radar, and and, and he had an electronics lab in my hometown. So I was kind of the little kid crawling around the weird components and stuff. And then in the mid seventies, right before Star Wars, the movie, and and you know Close Encounters, when there was like record breaking sightings across America, right? My my father and I had a day daylight sighting we were standing by a lake and it was a still water pond right next to lover's lake in my hometown and there's like this 30 or 40 foot high aerial tower that's gone now but it's right a part of this marconi radio station which was part of a, a wireless network that was put there in like the 20s that went down the whole eastern seaboard it was a 12 station wireless network one of the original ones radio networks that made my hometown a red zone so during the cold war if the russians had attacked that would be a spot they would hit to, to wipe out our you know communications but right there next to this area tower is this ufo i mean we plain as day we stood there watching it and i was so little freeman that i was i was holding his hand looking up at him i was probably six years old so i'm looking up at my father and my father knew everything as far as i was concerned I mean, he read the dictionary when he was a kid he studied you know the encyclopedia all this stuff and he he was the kind of guy that you could ask anything and he'd have an answer right and so i looked at him and i said you know what is this right and he looked down at me and it was like it was it was a moment i'll never forget because i could see by the shock in his eye and he said i don't know and it was and then right after you said it it just zipped away like it went you know ten thousand miles an hour in the opposite direction so it looked like it shrunk it was gone you know and so th these are things that were planted you know i didn't even i forgot about that till about probably 15 years later i was watching that old show sightings in the 90s remember that show sightings mm -hmm. and they had a montage of 
uh, images that they put in this little rapid fire sequence on one of the shows. And one of the images was the same thing that I had seen as a little kid and it fired the memory. And I said, wait a second. I think I remember this. And I called my mom and when it had happened, she had put us each in two different rooms and had us both draw and write down. She, she, she would basically transcribe what I told her because I was little, but I drew a crayon picture of what I saw. And I told her what it looked like and told her what the experience was like. And my dad was in the other room and he wrote out what he saw and drew a picture. And then they were the same, you know, and then she stuck them in the drawer and we just forgot about it. We didn't say anything to anyone. And, and so then I go to her house 15 years later, open the drawer. Those pictures are still there. And I say, how come we never said anything to anybody? She's like, what were we going to say? Who, who would we tell? And they just think we were crazy. We grew up in this little small New England hometown. You know what I mean? That people are just going to be like, oh, it's the UFO family, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. So, anyways, moving. Well, no, that's, that's crazy because 1977, I drew the picture that represented Sirius. Yeah, and, uh, it it used the ancient Dogon symbol for Sirius, put on all of the space shuttles, which uh, uses the Freemasonic symbol for Sirius, the the blazing star. Uh, so uh, here I was also connected to some extraterrestrial source because not only did I draw the the symbol, the Dogon symbol for Sirius, on all of my space shuttles, uh, and the space shuttle titles, of course, you know. Um, uh, the funny thing is, is we had this conversation. I remember 10 years ago, sitting in Lawrence, Kansas with you. And we had this exact conversation where we, we where we realized yet another synchronicity, you know, right. Right. <laughs> in so many, because like you said, you know, you're, you found out your dad was involved with the Masonic Lodge, that he was deeply involved with DOD and nuclear energy and weapons and all this stuff. And then, and then my, my dad ends up joining a lodge in my hometown and in the nineties. And, and I was in college at the time and it, I had no idea what the Freemasons were, but I, I just like got this feeling like I had to, I had to look into this. I had to, it was a, a compulsion that grew into an obsession to find out everything I could. And at first, of course, the information that you, the first thing you find is, is was a lot of, you know, like misinformation, a lot of like, you know, people who really didn't know. And then you dig a little further and then you find out, real firsthand accounts and you find out, you know, other, other accounts and other authorities. And, and, but it always left me feeling like there's something missing here. And at some point along the way, probably around the time of right before Y2K, I was working, I was living in Las Vegas, listening to Art Bell on shortwave radio, right? 1999. And uh, I'm going to work, working at the Luxor pyramid, it, you know, the giant pyramid in, in, in Vegas and riding to work with this guy who's like, he, he was kind of like the blonde haired dude in uh, the old X-Files, you know, the, the lone gunman, right? He was this real kooky kind of eccentric, but he, he and I, we connected. He was, he was all about different, you know, uh, mystery the theories, you know, conspiracy theories, all these different things. And he says, you got to check out these books. And he handed me three books. And that changed my life, those three books. The first one was Transformation of America by Kathy O'Brien and Mark Phillips, who wow. you and I met, right, years later at uh, the Free Your Mind conference. I consider her a friend. I can call yeah, her. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah, they were great. You know, and, and, and Mark Phillips, before he died, he was an amazing guy who, who told me so many amazing things. And then and then he also handed me uh, the book called Psychic Warrior about the guy who, uh, his name was Dennis Morse, I think. And he uh, he was in the Gulf War and he got, he got hit with a bullet in his helmet and it didn't penetrate the helmet but it penetrated his skull and he had psychic powers after that and he ended up working for the stargate program and working with like ego swan and you know under purovich and all those guys the men who stare at goats program that movie you know and so th that book was about his experiences and then the other one was called triangle of fire was written by a guy who was standing on the grassy knoll when jfk was assassinated he was a teenager him and his buddy had skipped school to go watch the president and they were standing on the knoll and so they saw that there was another gunman right and then their his parents made him hush up and not just like you know put it put it aside put the papers in the drawer don't talk about it and then years later he was working as a, a groundskeeper at the arlington cemetery or Arling Cemetery, not 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 the military cemetery, but the one where uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's buried. And he runs in 
synchronicity runs into uh, Marina Oswald. He literally, she was there and he, he meets her and then he goes back to the grassy knoll every day for a year and meets people who are trying to figure out what really happened, puts together a whole body of work, which he publishes at the Triangle Fire. So when I read those books, then, then the, the, the topper was Robert Anton Wilson's book called Everything is Under Control, the Conspiracy Encyclopedia of Conspiracy Theories A to Z. When I read those books, the shells came away from my eyes, right? And then I, and then I, you know, like combining that with watching, you know, Oliver Stone's JFK, whether whether he was one hundred percent accurate, he was. It was like a clearinghouse of all these unanswered, you know, just variables, unanswered anecdotal variables, phenomenon, things that just didn't make sense, and all of that together just set me on my course, you know. And so I reached a point where I did my my own family history, found out, you know, traced my mother's family 1200 years back through uh ancient scotland and ireland and found out that i was from a long line of initiates people who through the dark ages you know through the medieval times had been members of all these different orders uh, the order of the temple order of the grail or these strange little offshoots and and then i i just it, it all came together for me i was like i have to find out i decided to join the lodge and so in 2007 I joined a lodge in Lawrence, Kansas, right? Where you and I met and it wasn't, we didn't meet at the lodge, but meanwhile, you are doing your own rogue research, learning all the hand signs, the signs of recognition, the grips, being like this, you know, renegade, you know, <laughs> outlaw yeah. mason, clandestine outlaw mason, right? <laughs> running around <laughs> exposing the secrets like you could. But, but then, you know, the guy, our mutual friend who introduced me to you, what ends up, you know, a glass blower from Lawrence who ends up being the master of the lodge that raises me to master Mason. How coincidental is that? Right. And then you and I meet at his house and I don't know, I remember the day like it was yesterday when we sat down on that couch together and started talking, it was like the whole room stopped and everybody was just like focused on us and like, you know, just staring and we're just going on and you're like, you know, and then there's this and I'm like, yeah, and then there's that and we're going yeah. on and on and everybody's just like jaw dropping, like what? And you're like, dude, you have to come on my show right <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah man like uh you know uh we're talking mind control magic and ufos right there yeah and one of those things that really stuck in the back of my mind having read david ike's you know the biggest secret and robert Anton wilson's collection of all the different conspirators and then kathy o'brien in transformation talking about fourth dimensional reptilians and it, it was always like where does this fit into this and i started getting the sneaking suspicion that there was something to this you know that at the how does it fit in though because on the front you know the average lodge in every town in america you just go into it. It's like a, you know, it's a fraternity. It's like an Eagles Lodge or an Elks Lodge or whatever. They raise money to help blind kids or they raise money to help deaf kids or they raise money to, you know, put people in college or whatever. And they do big sales and they do all these normal, like, you know, community building stuff. But then there's this bad press and there's these people that whistleblowers that come forth and say these strange things and you and then there's the strange iconography that's just floating around the lodge and like you said the blazing star the all-seeing eye you know the pillars and all these different things that that do something to everybody like it and, and what we find out like talking to mark phillips kathy o'brien's uh, husband who's, who's deceased now i when we were at the free your mind conference he told me he went to the southern caves uh, in southern France, right on the Mediterranean, those caves where the where they have the handprint, the okra handprint, where they put their hand up and they spit the okra and pull your hand away, and there's that black you know, blank space, right? And they had all these drawings. He said that cave complex is way bigger than the general public knows. You can only go into certain parts, but because he was former CIA MK Ultra mind control program, he had access. He went in there, and he said on the walls of those caves was a step by step pictographic Im images of the basic way he said it could have been torn out of a playbook for the mk ultra mind control program on how to create a trauma-based mind control slave and these are cave drawings that are 10 to fifteen thousand years old so suddenly 
he realized in that moment, as he told to me that night at the little meet and greet at the Free Your Mind conference in what, 2013, 2014, he says to me, so we knew all we've known for tens, tens of thousand years how to mess with the terra incognita of the human mind. And then it struck me like, wait a second, you know, that makes perfect sense because all these, like you spent so much time decoding corporate logos, looking at the symmetry of different buildings, looking at the, all this iconography is being employed by mainstream media, you know, mass consciousness manipulation. And you realize these symbols are literally, they're living things. Lon Milo Duquette told me years ago, symbols are living things in the spirit realm. They're just symbols, you know, two-dimensional symbols here, but in the spirit realm, they're actual beings. And that's a strange thing to say, but when you think about it, they trigger certain reactions, symmetry, you know, uh, the, the shape of a building, the, the, the orientation, the, you know, the way it's set, the way it's, you know, everything has a purpose and it all triggers certain subconscious reactions. You know, it's like misdirection, right? You don't really realize how it's impacting you, but then it's, it really is, you know? So, so moving forward from that, all this stuff's floating around in my head and I'm thinking, where's the connection? Where, what's the possibility of some kind of, you know, other entity, some sort of other influence, right? Is it, you used that term the other day when we were talking, the idea of an other influence that's having, when we look at our world today, right? You mentioned before, you know, with the transhumanism, with AI, with technocratic elite, with the, you know, the, the obsolescence of humanity through AI and transhumanism. It begs that question of other influence guiding our fate, right? Leading us on this present course, still on track with the, the same mission that, you know, George Bush, George W. Bush, even George Bush Sr., but George W. Bush especially, you know, mission accomplished with 9-11. Was that, you know, was that really a fracturing of our reality? Did somehow with exotic technology, did they really create a fringe universe that it's, you know, has led us to this current bizarro world paradigm where right now we're sleepy Joe Biden's president, <laughs> you know, and he's like potentially the next candidate candidate for president it's crazy right it absolutely feels that way <laughs> yes <laughs> and yeah. so that's what I, I wake up every day thinking like what are we living in a fringe universe right now but yeah so the so i the reason why we you know it's really synchronistic it's really kismet that we we reconnected and you know this is your 36th show you know three six three plus six is nine right nine <laughs> is one of those numbers that come up in numerology but at the same time it, the, the significance is is that i did finally i started a project 10 years ago that was the culmination why my first book was called the secret war inside freemasonry and that was really the account that i kind of have laid out quickly here in this sort of you know a rapid bullet point presentation in the moment, you know, the, the, the idea was uh, where did it, you know, where, what, what, what happened? Where did I come from? What happened? You know, where did it take me? And so I had the combination of researching all this material, every lodge or order that I would join. And I was on the fast track because when I entered the lodge, I had a lot of knowledge I'd gathered. Like you and I know, you can gather a lot of information if you're obsessed. There's a lot of information out there. There's like 50,000 books written about Freemasonry going back hundreds of years, you know, and if you really search, but you do, there is a, there are gatekeepers set up and there is some, some things are marginalized and sequestered behind closed doors, secret archives, secret libraries, you know, that only certain people have access to. And you usually have to qualify your access by agreeing to be obligated by certain governings, you know? And, but so when I joined the lodge, I had a lot of information that I'd gathered and, and I found myself in situations where I'm sitting in a room with people who have been enjoying the status of the brightest and most learned people in the room, but they don't really know anything. They're kind of frauds. You know, they just would just kind of play it off whenever they were asked questions like a Zen master, they'd answer a question with a, with a question that, just confuses you and you're like what the heck does that mean right <laughs> but they they end up you know just uh, leaving you even more befuddled than when you started but here i am i come in and i've got some active lines and threads of research i'm i'm hungry for the answers and i've accumulated some pet theories that i would throw out and combined it with real 
information that coincided with the teachings and lectures of the law. So a lot of the other newcomers would kind of gravitate towards me because they'd ask, you know, why is that to an older Mason that's been there 30 years sitting in the corner? And he's like, oh, I could tell you, but then I'd have to initiate you into a separate order. <laughs> joke, joke, joke. But like, then they asked me and I'm like, well, wait a second. So that from my information, the research I've done, this is what it means. And, and they couldn't argue it because they couldn't, they really couldn't prove I was wrong. And so it got to a place where I became a threat, you know, just a, a threat to the, the general leadership and the status quo. The apple cart was being upset by my presence. And I think that that point, the leadership in the lodge made a decision. They could have targeted and destroyed me, right? But they also saw a use for me. If they could just corral me, if they could just wrangle me into an obligation. So what they did was they put me on the fast track and they ended up letting me join nine different orders that were all higher grade orders that are like quasi Masonic or extra Masonic concordant appellant orders that, that aren't really mainstream Freemasonry proper. They're like uh, these, it's kind of like if, if Freemasonry was like a big fish and these are all little pilot fishes that are attached to it, you know? And so a lot of times you don't even know these orders exist until they tap you to join them. And there's hundreds of these orders, right? Hundreds of orders. And like I said, you, you, you can't even keep track. There's so many. And the crazy thing is, is the leadership and the other members, older members, they would be, you know, they would have concentric circles upon circles of membership. They would be a member of this order, of that order, of this order, of that across the board. They'd operate as a member of the Blue Lodge, regular masonry, and then maybe a Scottish Rite member or York Rite member. But you don't know. They also are a member of the Ancient Order of Toltecs and the Ancient Order of Golden Ankh or the Ancient Order of the Secret Monitor or the, you know, Royal Ark Mason and all these other strange orders that nobody ever talks about because they're not known and they're invitational bodies. So they tapped me, they, they played into my hunger for knowledge and my, you know, like desire to gain prestige and, and to show that I knew stuff and to, and to give me more information. And, and they, and they played to that and they rapid fire got me into all these different orders. And so at the end of it, I had become a member of nine different orders and the, my, my, my modus operandi was whenever I joined an order, I would turn around and I would find out where's the archives because each order had their own books and papers that they would keep in an archive or a library and invariable invariably the state of Freemasonry today in the 20th, late 20th, early 21st century, Ain't is, none of them reading shit. That's right. <laughs> that stuff's just sitting there, small, you know, moldering on the shelves. And they don't, they, no, every job in a lodge is a thankless, no paying job unless you're the secretary. You, you know, you don't get any money for it. You don't get any, it's thankless. And so that nobody wants to do anything. So the minute somebody like, comes in and raises their hand, say, I'll be the librarian <laughs> or I'll be the archivist. And they're like, fine, go the books, the boxes are over there, you know, go through them. And I would just dive in there. Right. And then I start like pulling out all these crazy stuff that nobody's looked at in a hundred years. And then you're also every jurisdiction has a grand lodge, right? Every state in America has a grand lodge and each grand lodge has a huge library. Now the, the Kansas Grand Lodge of Kansas of AF and AM Freemasons has a three-tiered old-fashioned like wrought iron typical library from you know in this big giant stone building in in the capital city of Topeka with 50,000 books in there you know just so many I mean it's amazing and they had the old box drawer Dewey Decimal system on cards you know like it's just and, and here's the craziest thing I went there every day for two weeks straight at least six to eight hours a day, I would go in there and I'm like a kid in the candy store. I mean, I'm finding books that are like old Harry Potter, big giant books, you know, like pulling them out and opening them up and I'm reading and taking furiously taking notes. And I, like the time is short. This is my only time I knew when I was doing it. I knew in the, in the back of my mind, this is it. Like you're going to get this time. And then this last for you. You're not, you're never going to be able to get back here like this right now. And so I'm just furiously writing down notes and, and getting the names and the, all the cross references and the end notes. And, and for two weeks straight, Freeman, not one other person. And there was there's 16,000 Freemasons in Kansas alone. And not everyone has access if you're a lodge member. Not, ev not, and not one single person came into that library the whole time I was there. So, so you see, right? It, they, there's all this. Not, and then many times I'd walk into lodges and out the back door, they'd have a box sitting in the alley next to the dumpster full of books. And I'd go, what, what's that? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're just tossing. We had no room for them. 
you know, and I'm just like, what? Put them right in my car, you know what I mean? <laughs> Taking them with me and go through them and find. So all this knowledge that was available to me, I started following those trails that following like almost like a forensic investigator, right? I started getting these references. And then I also became exposed to magical orders and occult orders that crossed over like you've talked about the golden dawn the oto the the uh, ancient order of druids and all you know there's so many like other hermetic occult orders that fashion and pattern themselves off the same occult fraternal system of the lodge you know they just put in different key components to make it personalized to their variety of approach to the mystery traditions right but you find these little references in there these little things that would pop up and and these are the things like connected to Enoch, you know, and, and the legend of the fallen angels from Genesis chapter six. Uh, and, and they would always be sort of like an indirect thing. Like Tubal Cain is a big, he's the artisifer, right? Who turns out to be Nephilim, right? He's half God, half human. And he is the patron God of Freemasonry, according to the Massachusetts Grand Lodge. Tubal Cain, right? What kind of, where does that come from? I, the other way, we're always told that there were like, you know, a Christian organization organization or you know a deist organization at the least right and yet they're talking about this Tubal King Canaanite character who's like basically was worshipped like Baal you know what I mean or Baal, like oh, yeah. some sort of fire Vulcan right fire god absolutely and he has some big balls uh you guys can go <laughs> check out my photographs of inside the lodge and check out Tubal Cain's uh ball uh you know the symbol that the masons would wear and I have one on my hat uh, is two balls with a cane and yes. you can wear that symbol and a Mason would know that you're a Mason. And as curious as that is uh, in the same way, you were saying that I was going around and deciphering and, and, and being what do they call a Cowan uh, yeah. giving some fake handshakes and knowing the pass grips and passwords, you know, I found a book in Lawrence, Kansas, in this old bookstore that I couldn't afford, and he eventually gave it to me like years later. But it was a book titled Maha Bone. And I had done enough research that I knew that that was the secret word of a master mason that's not supposed to be spoken or written or put anywhere. And it was right there on the binder of the book from the 1800s. And oh man, I wanted that book. And I just kept, you know, going back, looking at it, looking at it. And finally, eventually, he gave it to me. Uh, but this turned out to be uh, the man, uh, Edmund Rowanes, who actually wrote the handbook for Freemasonry. So he was like our friend who went and inspected and made sure that everybody did the rituals correctly. Yeah. And he, he ended up writing out the handbook to Freemasonry. But like you, as he was writing this all out, and this is uh, where you see most of those pictures online, guys, when you see the Masons, uh, the, the little single line drawings of them holding their hands up and doing the signs and gestures. Uh, these all come from, from that book, but it's now called The Master's Carpet. Uh, I don't think you can get a copy of Maha Bone anymore. I don't even know what mine's worth. But anyway, that's beyond the point. Uh, what was really fascinating is as uh, Rowane did all this research into putting this handbook for Freemasonry rituals together, he suddenly realized that what was happening here was ball worship. And it freaked him out. <laughs> and so he wrote in another entire book that's uh, the compendium to the handbook of Freemasonry. Uh, which is the master's carpet, which is uh, how Freemasonry is all ball worship. What does that really mean? I mean, I, I'm starting to see this Nephilim picture. I'm starting to see this fallen angel picture. I'm starting to think that that's the roots behind this whole thing. And then history itself is a complete and total fabrication. Yeah. And it's just as an aside, was that book uh, dealer, was that the, the bookman from Vagabond Books that you were talking about? Absolutely. When he was shutting down <laughs> was the a, store. Yeah, he was a great guy. Yeah, he was. He gave me a lot of good deals on a lot of great books. And you're right, Mahabone, that's one of the secret words. Actually, it's the substitutionary word that they that they presented to a uh, master. lost word. Yeah, the lost, well, the lost word's lost. That was the substitution word they gave right. you because you didn't get the lost word until you went into the York, right, and became a royal archmason. And then they'd give you that word. And Jabulon. Exactly, which is Jabelon, right? So Jabelon. Those are three 
different deity personifies, right? Combined Jehovah, together. Baal, and Osiris yeah. are on. Exactly. And those represented the three masters, right? You had Hiram Abiff, the, the, the great architect, and then you had uh, King Hiram, and then the the third one. Who was the third one? Uh, there was King Hiram, Hiram Abiff, and then... Uh, Oh, I can't remember the third one right now, but uh, the the three of them represent the traditions of of that time. Those were like the traditions of basically the spirituality that was secreted into the the royal orders of then of that time. You know, some of it came over with Moses and Akhenaten, right? And they br- brought it over uh, to be kind of like reformatted for t- tabernacle you know, Judaism, right. With the, with the sanctum sanctorum and the, the temple okay. itself. Let me, right? let me bring it right here. Cause this okay. was a topic I really wanted to make sure we got into the first hour. Okay. Uh, and we're on it. Uh, okay. So here we are looking at this puzzle of everything. And um, I, I have photographs of George Washington's Masonic Memorial in Alexandria. We're not talking about the obelisk in DC. This is the Masonic Memorial for George Washington in Alexandria. I, I believe that's where the big bald two volcano picture comes from. I'd have to go look at my pics again. Uh, but you walk into George Washington's Masonic Memorial in Alexandria and uh, there's nothing but Jewish iconography there's a there's a star of david on the floor there's uh the the steps to the temple uh with the bull um i can't think of what that is but i think it was tire you know like where hiram um but the bull worship is there when you walk into this george washington memorial you won't see one piece of americana not one not a not flag, not nothing, right? But what you will see are stars of David, Knights Templar, uh, menorahs, uh, the temple, the ancient Jewish temple, which goes to the Alaska Mosque in the 1013 event. Uh, and you will find the Ark of the Covenant and all of these things right there in the Washington Memorial, along with the Knights Templar uh, outfit. And the... It, it just turns out that uh, Donald Trump just released images or people released images of his uh, freshly made or I don't know, maybe or maybe it's the real thing. But he got the Ark of the Covenant from Israel just now, and it's sitting in Mar-a-Lago. So when we start to look at this ancient past and the tools that were used in the Ark of the Covenant and the whole fact that this whole war and everything that we're watching in, in, in Gaza goes to the Alaska temple, the whole building of the third temple. Donald Trump carries the Ark of the Covenant. George Washington carried the Ark of the Covenant. And this device that seemed to be a first weapon of mass destruction plays a large role into the stories that we have been told for our history, uh, going back to whatever, the however the Knights Templar ended up uh, getting all of their wealth and power and how history got shifted and changed throughout this whole time. Uh, it it to me is absolutely fascinating that all of this Israel at war and and the fight over the Temple Mount is coming. They had a ten thirteen Alaska Jihad announcement on ten thirteen, which is the third temple, and this Ark of the Covenant connecting it back to the ancient past and and potentially the the battle with the Nephilim and the flood. And the you know we have the area of uh, you know the the area of the holy land today embroiled in this war between Hamas and Israel where you know it's it's like you know it's considered to be globally like genocidal and you know both sides are committing atrocities to each other and it's awful but our but our leaders are like just they're just cautioning to just be you know be more careful with your bombing you know like take it easy like not 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 demanding that they stop but like kind of probably secretly well, you know them billions of dollars yeah, you know? yeah, right, right, well, yeah let me it, just give you 95 billion here yeah and all these weapons but just be careful with how you use them okay because they're kind of you know upsetting people with all your genocide 
and wiping out. And I don't mean to laugh because it's not funny, but what it is is remarkable. It's remarkable because it says they're still stoking the fire. They're still stoking the coals. They're kind of like keeping the Armageddon on the back burner so they can at any time they want, they could just ignite it. And, you know, it goes back to what the, the three, the three uh, masters I was trying to think of are, you know, you have King Hiram of Tyre, like you said, and then you have Hiram of Biff, and then you have King Solomon. So the three of them together, they formed this union and, and they represent the reason why it was important is because only when the three of them were the, were together could they utter the word the lost word right the word that's considered the lost word in the blue lodge and that word was originally given to enoch in the in the judaic traditions enoch was taken up to the seventh heavens by the angels and taught all the secrets of the universe right and one of the things he was taught was the secret word of the name of God. And he was also told that there was a flood coming. So he went back to earth and he created two pillars. This is the ancient one of stone and one of metal. And he inscribed the pillars with all the knowledge that he had learned from the angels. And he knew what was going to happen. You know, so his name, Enoch, means initiate, right? The initiator. And then after him, you have, you know, Lamech, or for, you have Jared and then uh, well, Lamech, Methuselah, all these lines towards Noah. And, and that's when the flood happened. But they all were connected with this idea of knowledge of the secret knowledge that was not privy to the rest of humanity. Were you, were you going to say something? Let's also be clear that the book of Enoch guys, it shows you exactly how the Nephilim instituted all of the things that we now deal with today. They are the creators of culture and history. So That's the right. Nephilim brought in high heel shoes and jewelry and makeup. They brought in greed. They brought in pharmacaea. They brought in, you know, listed Warcraft, the, Warcraft, Warcraft, metallurgy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mind control, everything we've been talking about. It's listed right there in the book of Enoch, right? Like everything that you see going on in the world today with the transgender movement, it is in the book of Enoch. And I, and I the, actually and the, go ahead. Well, I actually have it in my notes here. Uh, if I were Enoch, uh, and so that's that's at the top of my notes here. And I wanted to tell you and the audience uh, that if I were Enoch, which I've been accused of being, <laughs> I would tell you that there is a moment when it's too late. Okay? After living thousands and thousands of lifetimes from the beginning of time till now, I will remind you of the horrible days of Atlantis where they went too far. They crossed the Rubicon to the point of no return, and that nation had to be destroyed. It had to be eradicated from the planet because there was no coming back from the, the transhumanist agenda. Once it's done, there's nothing you can do. And this is uh, part of the story of the Nephilim and why Moses or Noah uh, was was saved because his blood was pure from this Nephilim. Uh, Infestation. So yeah uh infection yeah so if i were enoch i would tell you there is a moment where it becomes too late and with the transhumanist hydrogel going on and the and the interaction of ai and the connections to all of this and the nephilim i'm telling you folks there is a rubicon there is a point of no return and if enoch were here today who some say i am <laughs> uh <laughs> I would tell you there is that moment and you need to turn, you need to turn. But what everybody is focused on in our world today from transgenderism, LGBTQ to the Super Bowl and everything that we listed in, in the beginning of the show that happened in 1967 uh, is all fabricated. It's all fabrication. It's all set there to keep you distracted from the truth of what's actually going on and guiding us straight to this moment of of being too late of going too far yeah and you know the the point is is that in enoch's time when you know we like you said it's all in the book of enoch the book of enoch used to be attached to the bible it used to be printed with the bible was part of the, the whole canon and the reason why they took it out is because it lists the 72 undivided names of god the names of the fallen angel and they, and these names they didn't want people to have access to because there's power in a name right there's power in words if you use you, you could literally use those words those names to evoke the spirit to connect to it and that's when so 2000 in the year 2000 batman became azrael yeah 
Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> but no, Azrael Folks is one of those angels in the fallen that's angels. The, that's and, right. And they broke Batman's back. They killed Su- or, and they killed Superman. And uh, Superman's a Nephilim as well. Uh, and yeah. and and they they replaced Batman with a bloodthirsty back spine ripping Azrael and that finally came out in the movies but that yeah that at 2000 that that happened but okay so so, so the, the names of the day fallen right lies. right right but here's the thing that people don't a lot of people don't realize you know you, you tell people so like you know i talk about this they're like what's the name of your book the book's called ghosts of the nephilim they're like what's that mean nephilim i'm like nephilim is the offspring of the watchers you know and they're like who were the watchers and i say well in the bible there's only like a couple of references. One of the main references is Genesis chapter six. It just says it like one time, you know, they're going along with the narrative of Genesis, you know, the, the, the creation of the world, the creation of everything, you know, the water and the firmament and everything. And then the, the Adam and Eve and the garden and the animals and all that. And then all of a sudden they just throw in this little aside. Oh yeah. And also on the Genesis chapter seven, and in these times, you know, there was the sons of the, the sons of God, you know, the sons, sons of, God of the came heaven down and found down. that the women of man were fair and took of them all they chose of wives and mated with them. And they begot the monsters, giants, and heroes of renown. Exactly. And then they say that, right? And then they just bounce back to the other narrative. Like it just... And then just, Adam and Eve were born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, don't pay attention to that little reference. We just wanted to throw that in there. But now let's go back to the story. <laughs> There's literally two creation stories in Genesis. There's the Absolutely. one where they create all of humanity and everything, and then another where they create Adam and Eve. Exactly. And that's the point. So you, so what we find out when we look at the lore, we look at the tradition, when you, when you, when you go through the begots, the, you know, Enoch begot, Lamech, Lamech begot, Muzla, down the line, right? And you add up the, the, the time, like, you know, if, if Enoch was 365 years old and if, if Methuselah was 999 or whatever, you add them all up, you find out that from the time of Enoch to the time of Noah was 1,190 years. So from the time of Enoch, when the, when the fallen angels came down right to the time of Noah, when the flood supposedly destroyed the Nephilim, their offspring, and then they were enslaved by the and by the flaming sword angels of God was over a thousand, over an entire millennia. So during that time, the influence of the Nephilim on humanity, the defilement, the mind parasite virus infestation is what led to the decision to flood the world and destroy all that. It had been seen as fallen and wicked because of the influence of these demigods that basically set up these cults of self where they would worship themselves and their progenitors, which were the watchers. So the watchers, which, and that's where you get all these variety and multitude of names of Tubal Cain and Baal and, you know, like Azazel and, and all these different, you know, uh, uh, names. And you, you look at all the histories, people worshiping one name after another, Canaanite deity and this one and that. It's because they were all a part of this whole family of, of creatures, right? That were like, you know, basically they were, you know, just like uh, mutant versions of, 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 of a combination of so-called God, sons of God or sons of the heavens mixed with humans. And, and so at this point, you see that, that, okay, what happens, right? At that point, God says, you know, destroy them all, right? And so they wipe them out, but they don't get them all because later on in the Bible, when you get to the point of like, you know, uh, Joshua, right? They go in and they, and they find giants still, like, you know, there's giants in Canaan. They, they have to, there's Amorites and Uraphites and stuff. They're still, because they didn't all die, right? But most of them, but they still lingered. And what we find out in these original accounts is, is that if you think about it, you have the, the angel, the angelic being outside of earth, right? Not, not a human, but then you have humans that are earthbound, right? And, and the, the, the fact is, is that if, if they could have hybridized and combined these two beings together, you'd have a creature, right? A created being, right? That was begot, that is part angelic and part human. So if you killed that being, the potential is, is that there's an immortal side of them, an angelic side that wouldn't really die. But because their blood is connected to the earth through their human genealogy, they'd be trapped. They'd, and then you have the idea of the evil spirits that you find all the way through history, even up to like Stanley Kubrick films. There are those who'd say that every one of Stanley Kubrick films was pointing to the fact that there are like evil spirits that haunt humanity and usually manipulate it through sexual weird deal, you know, deviance and, you know, murder and all this stuff that happens, 
you know, with all the movies that there's always this undercurrent of, it. and you know, a lot of horror writers do, you know, do the same thing, but there's stories that go back in folklore of talking about evil spirits that, you know, possess people's by changelings. The old changeling story was that right before somebody was up on the, on their death door, like right up, right about the brink of death. Suddenly they would have a complete remission. They would just be okay. And that what, what there's, what they say is that the spirit would enter them and that they would then be a little bit more, you know, peculiar. They'd be like cruel to small animals and maybe some people would disappear and you didn't know, but like the serial killer or whatever, but like they, they were, there was a changeling occurrence, you know? And, and so the idea was for this, the, the book that I wrote ghost and Nephilim was, is it possible? The rhetorical question I would put forth is, is it possible that the ghosts of the Nephilim still exist, that they still, because David Icke and Kathy O'Brien will talk about a certain bloodline content in people, and they're more susceptible to be channeled, to channel these beings from the fourth dimension, right? And then, so you, in your genes, in your bloodline, if you have enough of this Nephilim, you know, compatible gene in you, that you could tap into it, you know, and then combine that with the works of certain, you know, uh, researchers and experts, I would say, like John Michael Greer, who's written so many books on magical, the magical lodge and the operation of the lodge and what's really going on. And even different lectures that I sat in on in the, in the lodge, in masonry, especially in the Masonic Rosicrucian College, I had, there was a, a, a physicist who came in and he talked about how the way, you know, because during the uh, Royal Arch degree, everyone clasped their arms hand over hand on each other's wrists and arm and they form a circle. And then they raise your arms together up and down and say, Jabalon, Jabalon, Jabalon in a certain pattern. And he described that as creating an energy vortex that went up into the universe and came down like a torsion field over the law. And that's the other thing about the lodge in the original, you know, manuals of the lodge, it talks about the dimensions of the lodge. People don't realize it says it goes from east to west as far as the eye can see. And then from the canopy of heaven above to the center of the earth, the below, that's the dimension of the lodge inside the building. So it's like the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. On the outside, it looks like just a building. But when you step into it, now you're in a place where the dimension is as far as the eye can see to the east and the west. And then from the canopy or the firmament in the heaven down to the center of the earth, that's the dimension inside the lodge. So it's defying physics, right? And so talking about this idea of like a hyperdimensional, you know, physical activity going on. And John Michael Greer put it like this in a book called Inside the Magical Lodge. He talked about how when human beings do a thing over and over again in a ritual pattern, like for example, if you had a lodge that was in place for 150, 200 years, right? And every month on the full moon, the people would gather and they would say the same ritual again. They would walk in ambulatory fashion around the lodge in the same manner. They would show the same signs. They would wear the same colors. They would wear the same symbols over and over again. You literally create or give birth midwife, what he called an egregore. And egregore is when you look at the root of that word from the Greek, from the English to the Greek and back, it comes back to Nephilim. It means that the thought form, servitor, tolpa, these are words that you've, you've used in your shows many times. And the idea is, is that if you do this thing over and over again, you will create a spirit being that will take on a life of its own. And the thing about spirit beings or any being, any created being, whether it be an AI consciousness or a, a thought form from magical tradition, any one of those is it has a vested interest in staying alive, right? And staying in, in existing. And it's not just because of a biological imperative. It's just because in order to fulfill its purpose, it has to remain in existence. So that kind of, that really simplifies this. So if you do this, this ritual in the lodge where you conjure up this being like a, like a magic, a magical invocation with a seal of Solomon, where, you know, traditional medieval magician standing in, you know, like, like uh, Goethe, right? Like, uh, you know, standing inside the Faust, right? And he conjures the demon. You know, you say a certain incantation, you draw a certain symbol, you have a certain color, you have a certain candle, you have a certain incense going, and you open a gate and this being comes in. And now you do it every month for years and years, for 150 years. It's so powerful at that point that it's now exerting its influence. And if it is connected to these spirits of the ancient, you know, antediluvian, pre-diluvian, Nephilim spirits, 
you know, that's pretty remarkable. And they wonder, well, why would they be so mad? Why, why are they be trying to do bad? Well, because if, <clears throat> if it's true, the idea that they are part spirit and part, you know, human, right. Then they're trapped here, which means they're probably angry, you know, right? Because they're kind of like the red haired step cousin that's like not allowed to come out for the family gatherings. Right. And they're kind of mad about that. Uh-huh. And they're also, what's that? It really is the only explanation for the anti-human experience that we are we currently go. under. It just is. And we're, we're wrapping up this first hour. So if you had some final thoughts on that, uh, well, yeah, no. So, you know, basically, uh, what, what the, what the book really is explores is just the, the, the accumulation of the research that I did, uh, research in inside and outside of the lodge. And I put together this train of thought, which explores the possibility of the things that we've kind of unpacked in this conversation. And I know we did like a fire around rapid fire. You know, we did a lot of, a lot of throwing down a lot of caveats and things, but it's, it's really a a good book because it's also autobiographical. Like my books end up being, it's the story of me and the experiences I have, but it's also the accumulation of the knowledge that I gathered. And, and the thing about this book was, is that it's, it started 10 years ago. And when I ended the the show, the, the middle chamber, which I used to broadcast and kind of hung up the proverbial, you know, hyperdimensional hood of uh, a freighter X, um, I had this manuscript left undone. And so after almost 10 years, I, I picked it back up and reread it and thought, wow, this is something I could really put together to finish. And I added an, a forward and an afterwards, which kind of gives a biographical and it, it's sort of like, you know, completes the circle and it's a way to process because I've got some other book ideas and projects in the works. I wanted to get this one done to sort of move it on into the ether, you know, into the universe and then bring out some new stuff. So it's uh, yeah, it's available for anybody who wants to check it out. It's for sale on Amazon and uh, along with my, the secret war inside Freemasonry, which is, you know, it, it's the, these books are concise. I keep, you know, this book's under a hundred pages and the, the secret war was 150 pages because I, I don't really want to hold people hostage. You know, we, everybody's busy. Everybody's distracted. We got a lot of things coming at us. So I wanted my book to be readable. You know, I want you to be able to get a lot of information in a little bit of time because we are busy, right? We have a lot of things to pay attention to. So yeah, if anybody wants to check it out, just look it up. Uh, you know, the ghost of Nephilim as well as the secret war inside Freemasonry and a couple other articles in paranoia magazine, which are available on amazon and of course the links will be right here in the show notes for you guys just to click on and get on over there ghost of the nephilim yeah it was an epic read and it it was a a good read and it did go fast and i i love that i'm in it (laughs) yeah freeman's definitely got a part in it he's a big big part in the story yeah uh not that that's uh the gist of it but i do pop up in there uh so uh, but yeah thank you for that um no, thank you because it has you, been you and I on this ride together, really. That's has. right. That's right. And you definitely brought me on board, man. I'm like, I couldn't have accomplished everything I had. You know, I'd like to, you know, formally and publicly say thank you because you, you helped me realize my full potential with all this. You know, that for a long time, I was just a voice in the wilderness, just a guy who like nobody wanted to hear, like a chicken little, you know? And we were, you and I were gathering information about stuff that nobody even cared about. Right. And then 10 years later, they're like, wow, wait a second. The Illuminati, wait a second, the right. Nephilim, the Freemasons. And we're like, well, yeah, duh. Like, <laughs> here's my stack of research papers. You know, have at it, man. Like, here's all the images I've decoded for the last 10 years. And oh, my God. You know, to- it was my goal to to be the first person to, to show all the Freemasonic lodges online. You know, that was a personal goal of mine. I went to every lodge, photographed all over and uh, got as many Freemasonic lodge rooms up on the internet because that was the one thing I couldn't find online. Just like the guys who created YouTube, they just wanted to see Janet Jackson's bared breast, so they created YouTube. Uh, (laughs) They honestly had no idea what they were looking for, which is crazy to me because my first YouTube was on Janet Jackson's bared breast. Like, you know, what are the odds? Go look at Wikipedia up on the YouTube and 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 what they uh why they created YouTube. They could not find that that shot of of the wardrobe malfunction, which actually guys was an occult ritual that was the bearing of the breast of the goddess and she had a sundial or a sun, a golden sun on her nipple. So this is the hermaphroditic symbols and the hermaphrodite is huge throughout this whole story. So the transgender a uh, thing that is being uh, um, foisted on on humanity right now has been their gig since day one, going all the way back pre-flood, pre-diluvian. Um, and, 
you know, I, I find it fascinating that the current theories on UFOs and guys, we haven't even gotten into the interesting stuff yet. We got a whole nother hour on the other side. And I want to mention as well that uh, Frater X has had a show here on freemantv.com. So you scroll down that long list and you will see, uh, <laughs> or just go to any post and hit the search and type in middle chamber Frater X and you will find all the shows that he did here. Uh, some great shows there, man. That's some great yeah. shows. I, yeah. And definitely covers some amazing stuff. You want to become a member of freemantv.com because therefore you get all of it. And, you know, I, Frater X wasn't even the only uh, guest host. So there's a lot of work on freemantv.com. If you haven't gone there to look, if you're just used to seeing me on YouTube and just getting what I put up there, you missed out. <laughs> and so go dig in deep now, because as you can see, all this information is current, you know, because it's history. It's 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 data. It's things that doesn't go old. Right. It's a, there's no such thing as an old show here. So freemantv.com, come on over, subscribe. Uh, it's like a lifetime of information gathered that you could take a lifetime reviewing. You could. <laughs> 18 years of stuff you got to catch up on. That's but, right. Uh, the flash drive has a lot, and it's really the only way to get all of my work. So if you go to the shop page on freemantv.com and get the flash drive, you get the majority of the videos, you get all of the Oracle years, and those have been lost for a long time. Some of the AFR stuff. I've been on many networks, and these things just get dropped from the web when they don't pay their server fees, so they don't exist anywhere else. Uh, like all the Oracle years, man, you know that's like four or five years of work there. All there on the flash drive. So if you uh, come over to freemantv.com, hit the shop page, and uh, get the flash drive. It's well worth it. I mean, it's just hacked. It's 30 gigabytes. And then, of course, the donate page. I just want to mention this because I, I do accept cryptocurrencies. And uh, if you guys, you know, I, I, I try to get people onto the, the crypto, you know, at least informed enough. And the last time I talked about Ethereum, it was at uh, almost $1,300. Well, it's currently 3700 3500 uh, so if you were listening to me back then, even when that, that felt expensive, but uh, and then Bitcoin this week has just gone off the damn charts. Uh, we're up to 61, 62,000, um, just off the damn charts. And so this is the new future, guys. Blockchain, you know, we're going from the World Wide Web and, and transhumanist blockchain. I mean, none of this is good, but uh, there's opportunity. And just the final thought on this whole talk that we've had in this hour, and I can't wait to dig in, is the concepts that are coming out of the UFO field, because that's all over, you know, everywhere, Congress and everybody coming out of the skiffs, they seem shooken. Uh, there's representatives in Congress saying, well, you know, there's really nothing we can do. And I think this UFO story all ties into this very same thing. And what I wanted to throw at you just in this last little minute was the concept that they are saying that UFOs won't be real until we believe in them. All right, go look into that. That's what they're saying, right? Even Tucker Carlson's talking about the mystical nature of UFOs, right? And then the, the, the popular theory that we must believe. So we go back to the X-Files and the OX symbol, which is the magical symbol of the dark magic of the OTO inside of the Typhonian Lodge, where they channel these uh, demons of the abyss uh, through extraterrestrial sources using the OX symbol, which is the X-Files logo, as their symbol of the uh, mark of the beast. Uh, that is what the magicians inside the Black Lodge call the mark of the beast, that X-Files logo, the OX uh, X, right, dot com and, and all of that uh, telling us UFOs will not be real until we believe they are. I am getting hit with a freaky ass storm all of a sudden. Oh, my God. So fires, ice storms, fires in Texas, Texas burning down ice storms in China. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, and of course, all of the crazy weather patterns that are going on. We're in it, guys. This is it. So here you go. We, we started with uh, 57 years of history for you going back uh, millennia <laughs> and, and bringing it all back to now. But there's so much more to dig into. So I hope you will come on over to freemantv.com and uh, subscribe to get all the bonus material and help keep this show on the air. You become a producer of this show. 
And we always got to give love to Steve Mercer for being the associate producer here and keeping the ball rolling for me, keeping the guests going. And if you have anything, you can write him, producer Steve at freemantv.com. Write me, freeman at freemantv.com. And please go follow me on Twitter. I'm finally, or X or whatever, you know, the X Mark of the Beast. Uh, I'm finally starting to see some numbers going up on my account. So that's awesome. Uh, you know, after what, a decade or more of being on there. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I am I am banned, shadow banned. Uh, you know, you got to go find me. You don't just you know stumble across me. But uh, yeah, Freeman TV at Freeman TV on X. Uh, I'm always posting there, giving you other thoughts and theories. So we got some great stuff coming up in the next hour. It's gonna be fantastic, guys. I got so many theories and thoughts that we're gonna go into from hydrogels to serpent worship to serpent poisoning to John Trump. Uh, and the tesla files into the externalization of the hierarchy you know there's just so much to go to so nasa science things. prophecies yes exactly so <laughs> you guys want to you got to come on over to freemantv.com and subscribe help keep this show going and get all the bonus material so uh this wraps up this fully informative hour i hope you guys took a lot of notes you know you take just one term that we threw out in this thing and you've got a rabbit hole to go down trust me yeah <laughs> so go dig in all right we're gonna take this on to the other side so we will see you all next week <laughs> <laughs>